Welcome to Cutie Clinic brought to you by RoomNow.Live. This is the best meeting for NPs and their physicians to go to. Today's case is when to stop the anakinra. This case is a 43-year-old male who has a diagnosis of adult onset stills disease and more recently OA of the knee or meniscal tear of the knee with some early OA changes. He was diagnosed over 10 years ago when he had the systemic onset of many features that made the diagnosis. High spiking fevers of 105, evanescent rashes, an itchy rash and hives, polyarthritis with swollen joints, many swollen joints, pleuritic chest pain, myalgias, sore throat, leukocytosis, hyperferonemia as high as I think 34,000, anemia, hypoalbuminemia, hypoalbuminemia uh, increased LFTs, he was seronegative for rheumatoid factor and ANA, he has ultimately developed fusion of his left wrist and he responded dramatically to steroids and then later to uh, anakinra, also known as Kinneret. Um, this gentleman has been managed over the last 10 years by me um, and he intermittently has had flares of his disease. So stills can be polycyclic or monocyclic. He's had polycyclic, polycyclic systemic disease cycles of inflammatory disease. Again, somewhere between um, 25 and 40% of patients after they've had their systemic disease will settle down into chronic inflammatory arthritis that gets treated just like rheumatoid arthritis. It's a seronegative RA, polyarticular. Treat them with anything from gold, methotrexate, TNF inhibitors, whatever you want to use. Same thing you use in RA you would use in those people who have chronic articular disease. However, the cycles of systemic disease, fevers, rash, serositis, incredibly high white counts, ferritins, CRPs, all that kind of stuff, that needs steroids, methotrexate and an IL-1 or an IL-6 inhibitor. So in his recurrences of his systemic disease, 10 years ago and again four years ago, he received some, somewhere between six and 10 months of systemic therapy, the ones I just mentioned. He recently had a flare about a year ago, uh, actually around eight or nine months ago, and at the last visit, two months ago, I said it's time to go off the Kinneret. So what we did was we said, take the, just so you know, and your labs look good, and it looks like it's safe to stop, um, take the uh, Anakinra every other day for a month. He was very worried about this. Take it every, and actually I think I said a few weeks. Um, take it every three days for a few weeks. And if you are taking it every three days and there's no recurrence of disease, you can probably stop the drug. Well, he's back two months later, and he's still on the drug because he's worried. Because when he got out to three days, he just didn't feel like himself. He got a little sore throat. He was a little achy and he thought his disease was coming back because those were the features he had when he first started. Did he make the right choice? No. He was dealing with worry symptoms and not the hard symptoms of systemic JIA or Stills disease. So it was explained to him that when you're going to, the great thing about Anakinra or, or Kinneret is that when you stop it, again, about I don't know, close to 100% of patients are gonna flare within three to seven days after they've stopped their Kinneret. And it's almost always around 72 hours. And they'll get the recurrence of the features they got when they started the disease, but importantly, they have to have the features of systemic disease. High fever, not a 99, 101.2, 100.2, I'm saying 102 to 106 fevers starting three days after or rashes, again, the evanescent rashes that come and go, including the itchy rashes, or swollen joints. They can start out with some tender joints, but they should become, uh, they should persist, they should not come and go, and they should be associated with swelling. Two out of three of those, and it should be backed up by the lab showing inflammation ongoing. 
So that's when they know that their disease is still active. So let's look at this from the flip side. How do you know when to take them off therapy? Um, and I think you should look at all the symptoms. Do they have those systemic symptoms or not? And again, arthritis can be treated differently, but even arthritis can be counted. So if they have no fever, sore throat, rash, um, um, no joint pain and no joint swelling, and their labs are normal, white count's normal, CRP is normal, uh, sed rate is normal, ferritin is normal, and aldolase is normal, Many patients with an active inflammatory disease will have an elevated aldolase and a normal CPK. It's part of their liver activation. It's a very good biomarker, maybe the best biomarker in managing patients with adult stills or systemic JIA. So if all those are normal, now you have an open door on stopping therapy and you can wean them off the anacanor, just as I said, every two days for a few weeks, every three days for a few weeks, and then stop. But while you're doing that weaning, it might be good to give them the safety net of either taking acetaminophen, I like Tylenol arthritis, two or three pills a day, or a low dose of a non-steroidal or some anti-inflammatory, assuming they can take, safely take an anti-inflammatory with or without PPI protection, uh, and let them go off of it. Again, if they can go beyond a week and have no symptoms, they're scot-free and clear. If they if symptoms recur after two or three weeks or two months or whatever, you might want to think, rethink the diagnosis of Stills disease into something else, something else like traps or um, familial Mediterranean fever or something like that. You might want to rethink the diagnosis. But again, you should be able to go off. If all those clinical and lab parameters are normal, you should be able to stop. What if someone's on um, another drug like anakinra? First off, if they're on Kinneret and anakinra and prednisone, the symptoms are going to recur within three days. If they're on Actemra, tocilizumab, or another IL-6 inhibitor, it's going to be longer. It's going to be more like four to six weeks before they get that same flare. Again, fever, prodromal sore throat, uh, serositis, um, swollen joints, uh, rash that comes and goes. Again, a visible rash that comes and goes. Uh, those are the features of Stills disease in the systemic phase being active. So in our fellow's case, he was not having a flare of systemic disease. His labs were normal when we checked them. Uh, he is being told to stop his Kinneret today, and I put him on Meloxicam 7.5 once a day or twice a day. He already takes Prilosec, um, and he should do fine going forward. There are more elaborate and investigative ways looking for an IL-1 signature um, with microarrays. That's been very helpful for us here, but that's not commercially available. Um, this was an easy case for me because I see a lot of this, but this is hopefully good information for you. Tune in for more QD videos. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush with RoomNow. Today's QD Clinic is brought to you by RoomNow's virtual ACR 2020 coverage. You give us two hours, we'll give you the ACR. Today's case is a discussion of which IL-1 inhibitor should I use. I treat a lot of patients with auto-inflammatory disease. I'm a self-declared king expert of Stills disease. That's because no one will fight me for the title. And, um, and I use a lot of IL-1 in inhibitors. You know, there's three on the market. There's Rolonicept, um, which is given every eight weeks. There's Canakinumab, which is given generally every four weeks. And then there's Anakinra, which is given um, every day. So when I'm treating someone either with Stills disease or FMF or Schnitzler syndrome or, you know, hyper IgD syndrome that, you know, these are all IL-1 responsive disorders. The question is, which one do I use? Heretofore, I almost always use Anakinra first 
One, because it's cheaper than the other ones. They're all really expensive these days because these drugs are indicated for very rare disorders, so that jacks up the price quite a bit. But I tend to use Anakinra because it's very short-acting and has a half-life of six hours. It works pretty quick, and it also is dissolved pretty quick, meaning when you stop it, its effect goes away and people will flare within one, two, three days on anakinra. The other ones are antibodies, monoclonal antibodies, which have a much longer half-life. So again, previously I would use anakinra as my starting drug, and once the patient had gotten used to daily injections of anakinra and had done well, then I would switch them over to canakinumab, usually either when they complained of daily injections or um, I was concerned about compliance or the insurance companies were giving me a hard time. The equation changes more recently with the FDA approval of canakinumab for um, adult Stills disease. It's actually the only drug that's approved for adult Stills disease. Now, there are, again, the other uh, IL-1 inhibitors. Anakinra is approved, as you know, in, uh, for use in RA and also for CAPS, the cryopyrin-associated periodic syndromes. Um, and then um, canakinumab is also approved for systemic JIA, um, the uh, CAPS, FMF, hyper-IgD syndrome, and TRAPS. And Rolanicept is only approved for just CAP disorders. So when treating RA, you have an FDA approval for anakinra. When treating Stills disease in the kids, um, you really, or adults, you really only have an FDA approval for uh, canakinumab or Ilaris. Again, the differences here are uh, the half-life, six hours for anakinra, 26 days for canakinumab. And so the dosing regimens are either daily for anakinra or every four weeks for canakinumab. The doses are 100 or 200 milligrams given daily at night with anakinra. I use it at night because most of the fever occurs at night and it's a very short half-life drug. Some people will require 200, and that's higher than the prescribed dose. But when you're treating hot, red, inflammatory, systemic auto-inflammatory disease, you might need higher than normal doses that you would use in RA or other disorders. Um, when you're using canakinumab, the dose is either 150 or 300 milligrams given every four weeks. Now, these are sub-Q administered drugs. The, um, you know, the, they do have the problem of, uh, of uh, ISRs, injection site reactions, that usually go away after a month or so. Um, and they're never um, serious adverse events where, or hospitalizable, or the lesions are usually just red, um, elevated, urticarial, but not itchy lesions, and not mild discomfort that, again, will go away with repeated injections. So um, which one do I use now? That's really the big question. I think it depends on what the need for rapid control or chronic control is. I think the onset of anakinra is an advantage, but its disadvantages as a daily injection. And you have to rotate sites, and patients don't usually like to inject their abdomen that much, and they run out of sites on their legs, uh, and God forbid they're using their upper arms or buttocks. Uh, but if I'm looking for chronic control, maybe I can acutely control the condition with steroids. Uh, often if I'm using an IL-1 inhibitor, I'm usually using a background of methotrexate or another DMART. Um, and then you could use canakinumab as your first drug as well. Um, if you're fighting the fight with insurance for FDA, you know, that this is not an approved drug, well then your only option for Stills disease is going to be 
uh, canakinumab because it's not approved for um, stills in kids or in adults with anakinra. So that's my two cents on uh, IL-1 inhibitors. Again, tune into room now for expanded coverage of the ACR 2020 meeting. If you only had two hours or four hours to, co- to review the ACR, and you can do it asynchronously, you can do it at, at night or during the meeting or in the morning before the meeting, um, it's all going to be online. How would you do this? I mean, you can go to the ACR website. It's going to be good. Or you can go to our website, roomnow.com, and see perspectives by key opinion leaders. See a lot of videos, a number of podcasts, panel discussions, um, takeaway message, messages, all on video or audio. And then there's going to be written content by our faculty of over 24 people covering the meeting. So tune in the room now, starting November 1st, all the way through the 13th. We'll talk to you tomorrow on QD Clinic. Hi, this is QD Video brought to you by RoomNow.Live. We're down to the last few days of discounted registration. Check it out at RoomNow.Live. Today's case from the clinic is entitled, How Many Days of Fever? And this goes to the diagnosis of an auto-inflammatory syndrome. I'm fortunate enough to see a lot of patients with Stills disease and auto-inflammatory disease and a lot of patients who don't have those diagnoses. There are a lot of mistakes often made in diagnosing such patients and many of you throw around a diagnosis of Stills disease like, like they're nickels when in fact they really should be manhole covers but you really need to be very, very rigid about the criteria used to make these diagnoses. So this fellow came to me with a history of periodic fevers. Um, They weren't every day, they'd be bouts of a few days and they would kind of recur at uneven intervals. And and he's treated with steroids and he does very, very well. His fevers would be 103 to 104, um, last three to five days. And the question is what kind of auto-inflammatory syndrome does he have? Well, we have a final diagnosis because we've done gene testing showing that he has um, an MEFV gene um, uh, rearrangement. He's heterozygous for that, uh, um, that gene that says that he has familial Mediterranean fever, or FMF. So the very clear and easy way of looking at these febrile syndromes is how many days do you have the fever? And we're gonna talk in real fever here. We're not talking um, 199.100.7. Tell them I'm in the shower. Um, and so how many days of such fever do you uh, need? Again, it needs to be at those high levels, usually greater than 102. Um, and if it's three to five days, and usually closer to three days of fever, then you want to consider the diagnosis of FMF, um, also Muckle-Wells. The diagnosis of FMF is important because it doesn't have to be in someone who has a Mediterranean heritage. You should not um, exclude the diagnosis on the basis of ancestry because we often don't know our ancestry. This, this fellow, actually his family uh, comes from uh, Korea and he was surprised that he has a Mediterranean disorder, but clearly he does because he has the following symptoms. He has recurrent bouts of fever lasting usually three, last one was five days. There's not a typical periodicity. These are not quotidian daily fevers. He's heterozygous for the MEFV gene mutation um, that's uh, sometimes associated. He doesn't have one of the five top 
uh, genes that are often tested for. He's seronegative for everything. His last CRP was 267 milligrams per liter. His white count 26,000, his ferritin 500. He's had evanescent rashes. He's young, he's 20, uh, 30 years old. He has had a prodromal sore throat, lymphadenopathy, pericarditis, and itchy urticarial rash. Again, all these are short, very short-lived. Again, three to five days, you think FMF. Two weeks of fever, you think of what? Traps, the, the TNF uh, um, receptor one associated disorder responds well to uh, etanercept. And if you have daily fevers, daily quotidian, quotidian means they occur at the same time every day, almost like a circadian syndrome occurring at the exact same hour or minute every day. Still's disease tends to be late at night, sometimes late afternoon, never at 7 a.m. Um, and it's a quotidian disease. So if you have a daily high fever, spikes up to 100, 300, 400, 5, you would consider a diagnosis of systemic JIA in the adult or in the kid. Uh, and if it's an adult, you might also consider the diagnosis of Schnitzler syndrome, and you should do an SPEP and look for um, a, mono, a monoclonal or polyclonal gammopathy that would be sort of the marker for that disease. So that's how you know how many days of fever can lead to a diagnosis. Tune in for more QD videos. Enjoy. This is QD Clinic. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live. 12 hours of CME on a Saturday and half day on Sunday in late March. You could be there or you could be home. Check it out. Today, we're going to talk about fever by the numbers. This week, I saw a patient who's had fever that's been going on now for a better part of a year, year and a half, um, with a number of other systemic features. And of course, she sent to me with the thought, maybe she has Stills disease. Well, you know, to have Stills disease, you have to have a quotidian fever. What is a quotidian fever? That is a fever that rises above 102 every day and then returns to baseline in the same day. Quotidian fever is usually a true circadian fe uh, a pattern fever, meaning that they get the fever same time every day, whether it's at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, 11 p.m. at night, 2 a.m. in the morning. It's almost never at 7 a.m. in the morning, by the way. But it occurs every day, no matter what. It's just like the EverReady ba battery uh, bunny. It just keeps on coming, and it doesn't stop. Our patient um, instead has bouts of fever that last um, three days, and then they stop. And in between, she has other features like rashes and horrific-looking labs and whatnot. And when trying to consider the etiology of fever, obviously, in a case like this, you're probably going to do um, an infectious workup, um, measures to exclude malignancy, uh, and then, you know, to um, consider an auto-inflammatory or autoimmune cause. And in this case, um, the patient gets sent to me, and I, I make this fairly easy. I mean, you can actually make a diagnosis of auto-inflammatory disease without genetic testing based on the number of days of fever. So, classically, amongst the CAPS, the cryopyrin-associated periodic uh, syndromes, there are, uh, there's familial cold, familial cold auto-inflammatory syndrome, NOMID and SINCA, and the Muckle-Well syndrome. Well, SCAS has fever that lasts less than a day. You know, the air conditioner comes on, they get a whiff of that, they get a fever, they get some systemic manifestations, they're relatively brief. It's a one-day deal. That's a childhood illness. 
That's um, usually present since birth, etc. Now, if the fever is more than a day and up to three days, the two conditions you should consider is familial Mediterranean fever and Muckle-Well syndrome. Uh, And both of those can be diagnosed through genetic testing. Both of those could be diagnosed by empiric trials, maybe use colchicine or an IL-1 inhibitor with FMF. Um, IL-1 inhibitors work very, very well in Muckle-Well syndrome. Uh, If it's more than three days, three to seven days, the conditions are usually seen in children, and that would include the FAPA syndrome. That's the lymphadenopathy, uh, oral ulcer syndrome, which is called the Marshall syndrome, or the hyper-IgD syndrome, the mevalonate uh, kinase deficiency syndrome. Um, The hyper-IgD syndrome, or HIDS, can be diagnosed genetically. There is no genetic test for FAPA. But again, they get three to seven days of fever. If it's more than that, if it's between two and three weeks, usually it's around 10 days, 14 days, sometimes 20 days, you should consider TRAPS, the, the, uh, the TNF receptor-associated periodic syndrome. Uh, and that's a very interesting syndrome and in that it is longer. It used to be called Hibernian fever, you know, um, uh, European descent, Australians, uh, etc., uh, might be at higher risk for that, but it's a longer set of fever. And when you get to Stills disease, the difference is Stills disease is every day. Stills disease and uh, systemic JIA and Schnitzler syndrome, they occur every day, like clockwork. So just by considering the number of days someone has fever, you may make a presumptive diagnosis. And that's, in this case, I made a presumptive diagnosis of FAPA syndrome in my patient with three days of fever that kept recurring and she had lymphadenopathy, et cetera. Now, I'm going to confirm that by genetic testing. If you're getting a patient, you have undiagnosed fever and you don't know what to do, I'm going to tell you what to do. You could spend a lifetime trying to get your lab and their insurance to approve genetic testing. Forget it. Go to a website called Invitae.com, I-N-V-I-T-A-E. Dot com, order an auto-inflammatory paddle, panel, set yourself up as a prescribing physician there, and the patient can pay for the test themselves. used to be 100 bucks, now it's 250 bucks. and for this, you order the auto-inflammatory panel, you'll get 76 genes assayed for for all of these syndromes I just mentioned, pretty much all of them. There is no genetic diagnosis for Schnitzler's or Stills or Systemic JIA, um, or FAPA for that, for that matter. But nonetheless, you can diagnose a whole lot of other things by doing this. Uh, And uh, you order the test. They'll send the kit to the patient. They'll bill the patient directly. The patient pays for it. You get a result back within three weeks. It really is the way to go. That's Fever by Numbers. We'll see you at Room Now Live. Hi, this is Cutie Clinic, and I'm Jack Cush with RoomNow.com. Cutie Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live March 2021, a cool, keen, connected CME conference. Be there. At the end, I'll tell you about our special faculty. Today's case is about when to do genetic testing. This just came up with a recent email I received from a colleague asking me to comment on a case. The case was a 29-year-old male who'd been having fevers for a few months. The fevers were up to 102. They would last he said up to a week would go away and then come back a few weeks later. So there was this periodicity to it, although it was sort of irregular as to how it was 
behaving, but it seemed like he needed high-dose steroids to control the fevers. The question was, what did he have? The workup was pretty unrevealing, uh, and my first comment to him was, he's not going to have Stills disease. I don't care if he meets Yamaguchi criteria. He doesn't meet Cush criteria. doesn't matter what criteria. He can't have Stills disease or systemic JIA or AOSD because he doesn't have a daily fever that's quotidian, meaning greater than 102 occurring every day with no breaks. That's what happens in systemic JIA and Stills. It goes on for months and months and months. Also giving you daily fevers would be something like Schnitzler syndrome, which happens in adults. So the question is, what does he have by having this intermittent fever? My answer is get a genetic test, gets an auto-inflammatory panel, and I'll tell you how to do that at the end. When should you consider doing an auto-inflammatory gene panel? Um, you can order a single gene like the MEFV gene for familial Mediterranean fever. It'll take you six months of bickering with your insurance company and figuring out who's going to do it, how much you're going to pay for it, thousands of dollars likely. There are easier ways. But the real question is, who should get a gene panel? These are my rules. Number one, the patient really needs to have features of an auto-inflammatory disease. Having some criteria, not all, but certainly not none, or certainly not one, that would prompt such testing. Having some criteria means they should have fevers that are otherwise unexplained. Rashes, those can be, especially if they're urticarial, pustular, or um, um, what's the other thing I wrote down here? Urticarial, pustular, or um, intermittent, meaning they come and go. Uh, other features would be serositis, inflammatory labs, CNS involvement, hepatosplenomegaly, lymphadenopathy. You don't need to have all of them, but you need to have several of those to make one of the many autoinflammatory syndromes a consideration. Second, you should consider it when the fever, like this case, is not daily. When it's daily, then it could be Stills disease and there is no gene test. Um, but when it's not daily, when it's lasting two or three days or a week or two weeks and then goes away and then comes back, that's the panel that you want to order in such patients. When there's a periodicity, meaning it recurs every month, every three months, that also suggests a genetically determined disorder. When it happens in the very young, since, you know, infancy, or basically as a child, and these have continued on since, or if it's happening in a child, you would consider an, uh, an auto-inflammatory pa uh, panel. A family history would be a good reason to do this. And lastly, failure to respond to either colchicine or steroids or an IL-1 inhibitor. These would be reasons enough to in my mind, actually to exclude an auto-inflammatory condition when they certainly don't respond to usual medicines that work in auto-inflammatory disease. So what do I recommend? I recommend going with a, uh, an outfit called Invitae.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. You can order an auto-inflammatory panel for 250 bucks. They will bill the patient. Um, the patient will pay for it, but it's going to get done quickly. Uh, and it's 72 genes uh, at least half of which have been associated with known auto-inflammatory disorders. Uh, you have to be registered as the physician, the ordering physician, and put in the patient information and order the test, and then they will contact the patient, send them the kit to draw the blood, etc. And then two or three weeks later, boom, you've got your answer, or you don't. The interesting thing about auto-inflammatory diseases is that even the best of clinics, like the NIH auto-inflammatory clinic run by 
Rafaela Goldback-Mansky and others, about 60% of their patients that they follow, they seem to have, clearly have, auto-inflammatory type disease, yet don't have a genetic diagnosis. Again, 60% will not have yet had a genetic diagnosis. But as you know, if you follow the work of uh, Rafaela or Dan Kastner and others, they're always coming up with a new syndrome. This year it was the somatic mutation associated with the Vexas syndrome, V-E-X-A-S, interesting syndrome. They sort of look like um, relapsing polychondritis patients with fevers. Anyway, um, I think you should uh, consider a genetic panel like this through invitae.com. There are others that you can you can find that will do testing. Actually, I tweeted this recently. I, I tweeted it from a slide from Susan Chenoy from the University of Seattle giving a great talk at RWCS. And I have a slide on uh, four or five companies that do genetic panel testing. But Invite is clearly the most cost-efficient of them, in my opinion. So that's it for this case in QD Clinic. Again, our fabulous faculty, um, truly stellar, uh, just a few. Uh, Ian McInnes is going to be our keynote speaker and is also going to give a small TED Talk. His keynote is called Twas the Best of Times and the Worst of Times. It's sort of a reflection on what's happened in the last year and who better to do that than Dr. McInnes. Also from the EU, Frank Buderet, who's going to talk about prednisone. Frank's from Germany, has been working on steroids a long time, has a lot of interesting things to say about steroids, and he's going to do it all in 15 minutes. Uh, others would include uh, COVID talks by Philip Robinson on the Global Rheumatology Alliance. He's one of the principal uh, leaders in that effort. And Beth Jonas from the ACR um, uh, program directors uh, uh, group, who's going to talk about changes in education during COVID. And lastly, we're going to have a session on RA killers with Jeff Sparks talking about ILD in RA, and I'll be talking about pneumonia in RA. That's, our, that's, uh, that's Room Now Live, March 2021. See you there. This is QD Clinic, and I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic's brought to you by Room Now Live 2021. More on that later. Today, we're going to talk about sore throat and fever. In fact, it's a case of FAPA, P-F-A-P-A, also known as Marshall Syndrome. So, 27-year-old guy comes to me with a diagnosis. You know, the diagnosis already made by Dan Kastner at the NIH probably about 10 years ago, 5 years ago, something like that, when he presented with um, aphthous ulcers, fevers that would last 3 to 5 days, and then recur roughly every 28 days. He had uh, cervical adenopathy, um, he had some axillary adenopathy, he had some abdominal pain, he had some diarrhea, and, uh, and aching and whatnot, but really didn't have joint problems, no joint pain, no, no joint swelling, although he does get aching. So this is an interesting case because uh, he was seen twice at the NIH and then sent back to his doctors in Nowhere, Texas, where they gave him, at the instructions of the NIH, uh, anakinra. But it turns out that he didn't tolerate anakinra, had an allergic reaction. Sounds like he had really severe injection site reactions, which, by the way, if you've never used anakinra, I've used a ton of it over the years, not only in auto-inflammatory diseases, Stills disease, but also in RA where we did the studies in it. Um, injection site reactions are not uncommon, maybe half the patients. The thing about it is that sometimes it happens in every with every injection. You know, again, half the patients, they get an, an injection site reaction where they what looks like a welt, but it's not painful. It's really not itchy. It's just sort of a bother. And then it fades over two weeks 
and desquamates and goes away. But you'll get them every day for up to 28 days, and then after a month, they just stop. So it's almost like you have to take the drug long enough to get the effect to make the ISRs, the injection site reactions, stop. Interesting. Anyway, he couldn't tolerate it. He probably had severe ISRs. And, and then his doctor gave him, of all things, infliximab. And, uh, and he's done reasonably well since, not had any fevers, still has some GI complaints. So why is this FAPA? FAPA is, actually stands for the features of the disease. P um, is the um, periodic fevers. Um, second is F for fever. Third would be aphis ulcerations. P would be pharyngitis. And A would be adenopathy. So those are the key features of FAPA. I'm getting the first one wrong. Let me, let me look at my notes here. Um, so, hold on, I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's periodic fever, P and F, APA. Um, the interesting thing about this periodic syndrome is it starts in kids in the vast majority of cases. Maybe up to 20, 30% can actually have a persistence into adulthood or maybe even an adolescent onset like this young man. The fever generally lasts three days and then recurs really every four to six weeks. In this gentleman, he said usually three, sometimes five, and temperatures of above, above 102. And when you have the fevers, his labs would be crazy looking, high set rate, high CRP, and he would have um, uh, oral ulcers and cervical adenitis, kind of since the diagnosis. There is not a genetic diagnosis, unlike many of the other auto-inflammatory syndromes, which are monogenic. Um, there is no known gene association. Some recent evidence suggests that there may be an association with IL-12P70, which binds to IL-12, and that's interesting when it comes to treatment options. How are these patients treated? They generally are treated with steroids when they're having attacks or just for the time that they're having attacks. In some, tonsillectomy works. In some, cimetidine. But generally, biologics are not needed, and certainly, fliximab has never been studied. Now, it is largely a pediatric disorder, but it can occur in adults. And you might look at a tweet that I put out um, two weeks ago from Susan Chinoy about FAPA, where she told us about Cantini's criteria for adult FAPA syndrome. And for that, they had to have fever, uh, pharyngitis, cervical adenopathy, abnormal inflammatory labs, and then intervening disease-free intervals to qualify. And again, this kind of same experience has been seen in kids as far as what works. Uh, in many cases, it's self-limiting. It's not usually a lifelong febrile disorder. The interesting thing about this person is, one, he needs high doses of infliximab, which makes me worry about what the diagnosis is. So I ordered a gene panel on him from Invitae.com. Talked about that in last week's uh, QD clinics. Um, and we'll see if he has another disorder that's looking like Marshall syndrome or FAPA syndrome, but in fact is another, um, another variant that could be found genetically. And there are several of them that have IBD as, as key features, because maybe that's why the infliximab is working in this man. He did have aphis ulcers. Um, and uh, I don't know of what his colonoscopy results, so that'll be interesting to see. The interesting thing that Dr. Shinoy brought up was this recent re uh, association with IL-12P70, which you know could become a target. It turns out that a primalast is a reasonable inhibitor of IL-12P70, so maybe that might be a future treatment option for a patient like this. So uh, I think you should um, 
look for cases like this. Again, the, the distinguishing fevers is the periodicity that comes back every four weeks, every five weeks like clockwork, and that they have the associated aphthous ulcers and cervical adenopathy. They can have adenopathy in other places, but generally this is what's dominant. That's kind of where the diagnosis, and it is a clinical diagnosis that is, that is improved by, as I said, steroids. Rarely do they try IL-1 in these people, but uh, I'm not even sure why it was even tried in this man. So that's it for this QD clinic. Again, I want you to consider our Room Now Live. If you're a fellow, uh, a rheumatology fellow, it's free registration for you. Just go and register, and you can either come to the meeting right now. I think we have 50 people coming to Fort Worth, and plus our faculty. Uh, about half our faculty are coming to Fort Worth. And, uh, and then we have hundreds who are going to sign up online. So you can uh, register for free and attend the meeting if you're a fellow. See you at Room Now Live.